Hi, my name is Ruby Amberlin, and I go to Harvard. Coming in, a lot of us experience anxiety over spitting that last bird out. We might say, it's in Boston. Well, not really Boston. I guess it's in Cambridge. Or it's a medium-sized liberal arts school. Yeah, it's Harvard. But eventually that kind of maneuvering just seems silly. So why is it so fraught to begin with? I think it's simple. That's the power of a name. Those seven little letters carry some major historical and social weight on their shoulders, but it's a weight that doesn't really seem to match the experience of going to school here. So then, what good is a name, really? Is it just a box of assumptions to escape from? Can it ever be something less constraining? A springboard into something new or exciting? By the way, in case you were wondering, the name of this podcast is This Harvard Life. And in order to introduce ourselves, we're starting out with a few stories about names. It seems fitting. To name something is to give it direction, and we're hoping that this episode gives you an idea of what we're all about. Telling stories, exploring ideas, trying to figure out just how we might be able to describe the school we call home. We're going to take more than just one word to do it, but here goes. Let's start with freshman year. It's the haze of opening days, in between endless handshakes and enough free ice cream to actually make you dislike ice cream, you walk into Annenberg. You're eager, and maybe a bit nervous, but before you experience why for the first time, you have to pass by John. Did you know that other swipers didn't memorize everyone's names? Um, no, not at first, but like lately, everybody's like, oh, John, you know, <laughs> you know, everybody's, you're famous, everybody's telling me about you, uh, they told me to introduce myself to you. In case you're lost, that was our producer, Wynn Graham, talking to John, the guy who sweeps everybody in at Annenberg, and manages to call something like a third of the freshman class by name. He's pretty impressive, and kind of a legend on campus. What's up, Johnny boy? How are you, Doing good. We wanted to know how this mythic persona, John, has become such an institution here. So we asked a few people, and most of them had their own John story to tell, or a different idea about how he did his thing. Here's Sophie telling hers. Well, I didn't think he knew me, and then one time, he would always say my name, but I assumed that he read it on my card. But then one time I came into Innenberg and I wasn't wearing my glasses. And he was like, oh, no glasses today, Sophie? And I couldn't believe that he remembered I wore glasses. Was that creepy? No, I was more amazed that out of 1,800 students, he could remember little facts like that. And one of our other producers, Kelly McGee, talked to Zach, who courted John a little bit harder. The first thing you should know is that this is something that's important to me, is that checkers know my name. And so for the first couple months of school, none of them knew my name. And I was like, I kind of made like an extra point of it, like kind of making them stop and like Card, like my face, you know, hopefully they would eventually learn it, but no luck, they have a lot of people to check in, sort of makes sense. So anyway, none of that worked, but on one particularly fateful day, I had my brother staying with me on campus, and so I decided that we would sneak him into Annenberg, because I wasn't willing to pay $20 for HUDs, and in order to do that, he would take my cart, swipe it, no problem, and never look at the face of the name anyway. And 
then I would go behind, say I forgot my card, write down the number, all was good. But my brother gets through, no problem, I'm solid, I'm gonna get through two. I go up to the desk, and I say, oh crap, I forgot my card. And John goes, really? I'm like, okay, my heart drops to the bottom of my stomach. I have let down this person that I was trying to get to know my name in the first place. And I immediately fess up, I feel horrible. I feel like this person to work to make sure that I could get food every day, I'd let him down. And so I fessed up immediately, felt really bad. But I had to pay $20 for that meal. But on the flip side, every single time since I've gone in there, John and I have had a great talk about something, the weather or Canada or whatever. He knows lots about me now. And most importantly, he knows my name. How did it feel when he caught you? When he caught me? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, part of it, honestly, part of it is just that I rarely break the rules. And so in this particular instance, or like whenever I break the rules, it feels really bad. Um, but again, part of it was probably that like John just seems like such an honest person and then like I had done this dishonest thing just to somebody that I don't think deserved it. It almost seems like it's a parent scolding a child. Right. It's like John is my HUD's parent. Whether we know him personally or not, we all speculate about him. And we all tell little stories. It's these kind of vignettes that make John such a fixture on campus. So why? What is it about having somebody simply address us by name freshman year that seems so significant? Zach's philosophy is that names are small tokens of respect that we show each other. When you do know somebody's name and they know yours, it's like one less barrier to you interacting each time. And mm -hmm. so like if you meet them and um, you, neither of you kind of remembers the other time, uh, person's name, the next time you see them it's like an awkward encounter where like you're trying to sidestep the fact that you both forgot each other's name. Whereas um, if you're able to see them and say like, hi, Bob, that can launch you into a conversation. And it also shows them, it's like a, a small token where it shows that they, they, uh, they care about you. They care at least enough to try and remember that little fact. Hmm. So I think in that regard it is similar that if John were to remember my name or somebody that I bumped into in Annenberg were to remember, it means that like they took the time and effort to kind of internalize that so that for the next time we could have a better interaction. I have to admit, I always felt like I was measuring myself up to the people around me freshman year. And whether or not John knew my name seemed to signify whether I was friendly or thoughtful enough to be worth remembering. But John doesn't seem to pick and choose like I always thought. He seems to approach names like Zach does as a way to make people feel at home here. In fact, we asked John if he had a sense of why he remembered the names that he does. He has a couple of theories, but he couldn't quite put his finger on it. I'm able to um, like observe, like say, if you're wearing glasses and then one day you're not wearing glasses. Mm -hmm. And I know that you're the same person, but for some reason it's just... I'm able to do it. It's weird. I don't know 100% how, but some names are obviously easier to me. I don't know how I determine that they're easier, but some are, um, a lot of the times there's other names that are hard to pronounce. Um, so I might have to ask that student, you know, how do you pronounce it? Because then I, I'm afraid I'm going to pronounce it wrong. But, um, yeah, I don't know how I determine. I guess everybody's different. Like, you know, some students are not, you know, engaging, you know, which is fine, but I try to be the same way to everybody and hopefully they'll kind of break out of the shell a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I just try to do that and make, um, make the students feel more comfortable when they come in the building.
John is uniquely positioned to use names to create community. It's hard to not think of how he acts at Harvard as related to how much he cares about his family. It's like Zach said, when John is at the swipe counter, he's almost like a HUD's dad, or brother, or second cousin once removed that feels more like a brother. Anyway, for working at a place whose name is so fraught and weighted, John has a way of using names without reading into their meaning. He uses them to make people smile, to bring them out of it. And for this, we love him. Walk with me, Susie Lee, through the park and by the tree. We can rest upon the ground and look at all the bugs we found. Safely walk to school without a sound. Cause I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. John gives us a little bit of visibility, a hint of recognition before every meal. But for most of us, a name signifies more than just a label. A person's name says a lot about them, beyond how it gets bandied about in the yard on the way to class. Uh, my first year, people were almost trying to affirm to me that they knew who I am, or knew what my name was, and that I know that they know my name, kind of thing. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> but I would often respond just, hey, or hey, buddy. <laughs> this is my Israeli friend, Giora, but let's listen to him say it. So, my name is Giora, and the many various ways I heard people here say it is Giora. That's actually the most common. Gioria, Gloria. Um, I guess those are the main kind of mistakes. This whole pronunciation business might seem like it would be a barrier when meeting new people, but not for Giora. Whenever I introduce myself to a person, it's it's always funny because it's never that I'm just introducing my name. They often mess it up or, you know, they, they say like, what would you say? And then I introduce myself again and that starts a whole new conversation. Oh, wh where's that name from or where are you from? And then, you know, it's kind of a smooth transition to talk about my background and that actually is very helpful. It's kind of a natural icebreaker to, to meet with new people. It's, it's fun for me that conversations are surprising. And usually, you know, you'd meet somebody and then you'd ask them all the, the conventional questions, the Annenberg talk. But somehow when some of the times I introduced myself, that veered into a different direction. It's, it's funny how much I feel that this has become part of my identity, that, I'm, that people will ask more questions once they tell them my name, or that it will lead to some interesting conversation. And I don't know whether it's me who's able to drive these conversations there, or whether it's just you know, by virtue of things that are not even up to me. Giro's name has shaped how he interacts with people when he first meets them. Conversations take unexpected turns. People are naturally interested in his background, all because of something he had absolutely no control over. And beyond this, his name seems to symbolize the trajectory of his life travels. So it means foreign in Aramaic, which once I discovered that, which I mean, it was a few years ago, but not too many years ago. It kind of made me think about 
my own life in that context, and I synthesize a lot and try to make associations between everything, but I think that here it's pretty warranted, <laughs> and I moved a lot throughout my life. Um, <laughs> I like to say that if I end up staying four years at Harvard in Cambridge, that would be the longest time I've spent in a single place since the age of nine. And I think that what makes kind of the layers that make me who I am so meaningful is because I, well, I mean, I'm always kind of a foreign, but but also not at all. Like, my foreignness at certain times just gets me closer to other people. Apparently, even in Israel, Gior isn't a common name. It's of an older generation. So no matter where he is, his name brings attention. Because of it, he feels like being different pushes him to be open to the inquiry of pretty much whoever asks. But as much as his name is a sign of his foreignness, recently he's decided to use his name as it's pronounced in Hebrew with his close friends here, as a way of solidifying his feelings of belonging at Harvard. Once I introduce myself as Giova, then people are completely taken aback, like, uh, okay, nice to meet you. <laughs> okay, I, I see what I, what I did there. Is there a moment when you realized that you wanted it to change? It's kind of, I think, becoming more confident in just saying, you know, this is who I am. This is what my name sounds like, if you want to know. If you can't pronounce it the way I do or my other close friends and my family do, that's fine. But it's partly what makes me feel more at home, but it's also the result of me feeling more at home here. It's kind of, yeah, wanting people to, to know that. Left a bag of bones, a trail of stones, to find my way home now. As the air grows cold, the trees Just like John uses names to create a feeling of being at home for so much of the freshman class, Giora started using his name to carve out a space for himself here. It took him a while to merge his feelings of belonging in Israel with his community here. But I want to end with a story about someone who came into Harvard ready to change her name right away, marking Harvard off as a new era in her life rather than just another step in the journey. For the first week of freshman year, I was Amanda, which is my given born name <laughs> um, and then about about probably halfway through the week after opening week I decided that I didn't want to go by Amanda and because I'd been thinking about wanting to go by a nickname for so long in high school I thought Amanda was a mundane name <laughs> I wanted something unique so my middle name is Lee so I concocted this nickname for myself Amelie and I came to my roommates and I was like, guys, we need to rally around this cause. I want to be called Amelie, but I kind of messed up because I started introducing myself by Amanda. So they were like, all right, we're going to do it. And we changed my name on the door and everyone started calling me Amelie in my room. And then people kind of picked up on it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
There are a few people at Harvard that still call me Amanda, and I always kind of like get jolted into feeling like I'm at home, or um, or like with other people because I'm so used to be, being called Amelie in the context of Harvard. Um, yeah. So. And, so your name is like associated with a place now. Yeah, a little bit. When I go home, I have to reacclimate myself and, and not introduce myself as Amelie because when I'm home, I usually just introduce myself as Amanda because everyone around me knows me as Amanda, so if I meet mm. someone new at home, I try to say Amanda. Mm. <laughs> when I meet someone new at Harvard, I try to say Amelie. Amelie doesn't feel contained by the idea that we only get one name. If we need many to describe ourselves, why shouldn't we go for it? I usually tell people Amelie is like my spirit name because, I, I don't know, it sounds really fluttery and whimsical, mm. so, <laughs> and I feel like that's kind of like what my soul is. And people usually tell me that it's, it seems like a fitting name for me. I don't know what it is about it. So I feel, I feel really good about it. I feel like it's just as real a name as my given name. I like both of them. Yeah. John welcomed us into this episode and showed us how names create a sense of familiarity and comfort. Giora reminded us that names aren't just words used to pick us out of a crowd, but things that actually shape our experience of the world. Amelie, she carries us out with her story about exerting control over how we're known and letting our names reflect our identities as they evolve. Earlier, I asked if names were just a pigeonhole in identity and meaning, but I think these people have told a different story. Names welcome us, influence how we relate to others, and give us a tool for self-definition. So what about the name Harvard? How does it shape us, and how do we shape it? If anything, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast, to delve beyond the name to the actual experience of going to school here, because no single word will really do it justice. So we hope you keep listening, and maybe even speak up. Tell us what this place means to you, so we can all understand Harvard a little better. This Harvard Life is co-produced by myself, Wynne Graham, Kelly McGee, and Allie Reed. Special thanks to John Martin, Sophie Altchek, Zach Chauvin, Gior Ashkenazi, and Amelie Beatty. Also special thanks to Tree Palmetto and Justin Jalorenzo for our theme music, and to Ethan Crago and Justin Sanchez for some of the other music you heard in this episode. This Harvard Life is brought to you by Harvard Bookstore. I'm Ruby Emberling. Thanks for listening.